Welcome to Mandy the ABA and Aditi the OT's podcast. We are two women across two time zones from two cultures, two allied health fields offering two very different perspectives. Yet we have a common goal of breaking down barriers and creating breakthroughs to promote interprofessional collaboration. Episode 14, Picking, Pulling, Biting, Addressing Habitual Behaviours. Mandy, before I go anywhere, I'm just going to mention you were an ex-nail biter, were you not? You know, most of my life, going back as far as I can remember, I have been sitting on my hands, hiding my horrible bitten nails. And, you know, I have sort of did various interventions over the years, but about a year ago now, I really took it on with a vengeance and yeah, and have been able to overcome a horrible habit, you know, no longer have to hide my hands. So yeah, that's, uh, that is definitely with the use of behavior analysis and a really, really helpful nail technician who helped me to keep the skin clear of little rough edges, which is for us nail biters is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Anything that's rough or can be visually distracting will call, might cause us to pick. So, yeah, I have sort of created this little referral network of for anyone that's interested in nail picking and then working <laughs> with um, the lovely Shanice out there, who I know listens to our podcast, so just send a big hello to her. Oh, and uh, it's quite a few of us have been able to overcome this really challenging behaviour. Oh, brilliant. Well, hello to everyone out there, OTs, ABAs, RB. RBTs, OTs, and nail technicians, apparently, uh, collaborators. <laughs> yeah. uh, welcome to our 14th episode. As Mandy said, we're going to be talking about something close to her heart for sure. And a topic that I encounter a lot with my students in my workplace, we'll be discussing why Johnny won't stop skin picking, nail biting, hair pulling, any of those body-focused repetitive behaviors um, using ABA addressing function of behavior and OT implementing a sensory approach. So just to be clear, what I'm referring to is not the kind of hangnail or dry skin that everyone sort of picks at or bites from time to time, right? Like we all do that, like that occasional pimple or scab that you might pick or squeeze. This is a little bit more deleterious in that it goes way beyond the comfort level for most of us, you know, biting nails to the past the nail bed or cuticles, like picking at them until they bleed, that sort of thing where, you know, you just sort of have these chronic condition of red, sore, sometimes infected fingers. So our case study today will really discuss a skin picking case. It's actually called excoriation. I did not know that. Such a fancy word. Anyway, um, so you as a professional may encounter this in a school setting or a clinic setting or even a nail technician setting. So we're going to discuss different strategies you can take at home to address this and implement right away in your practice. Uh, we are going to offer you several fun resources. I'm excited about this. Some sensory resources that you can purchase as replacement behaviors. We'll discuss those. And um, Mandy has really delved into this in her own life, right, Mandy? And you have developed strategies and a program to address nail picking. Am I correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I guess both with students that I've worked with, but more close up and personal with myself. <laughs> yes. So we'll definitely be able to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but first, our shout out, Mandy, go ahead. 
Yeah, our shout out this week goes to Dr. Rick Kubena. I think it's okay if you're listening, Rick, to claim you as my chart father because I, well, I'd heard of Rick before that and uh, studied through FIT and been privileged to listen to his lectures. I met him at a precision teaching conference in 2014 and uh, he has on at times been a valuable resource to me for questions and is yeah a, has a long history in precision teaching. He is a professor of special education and he has published a number of books. His most recent book that's just published is called Reflections on PT. Uh, he is a board-certified behaviour analyst and has a, a doctoral-level degree in behaviour analysis. And he has a list of things that he's done that I'm just looking down the page. It's so long I can't read them all. <laughs> but I can say that he's a super nice guy, very approachable. Mm-hmm. If anybody wants to learn more about PT, he will reach out and help you and direct you. Um, he has published so much research. I can't even list the number of papers here that he has published and he was also the editor of the Journal of Precision Teaching, which sadly doesn't exist anymore, but the archives are still available. So, yeah, thanks, Rick, uh, for your direction to me over the years and also to the hundreds and thousands of people that I know that have benefited from the work that you do, including children with autism and the interventions that you have researched. Um, yeah, the, the list of people affected by you as very very long so thank you for everything that you do brilliant yeah rick actually i met him about two years ago and he is also in a sense my chart father in that he is encouraging me to write a book on precision teaching specifically for ot's so fantastic yes that will be very exciting all right well moving on to nail biting our case study today is matthew he is a 13 year old student with asd and he has very high skin picking rates of behavior. Um, I see the student in the school setting, so it's a little difficult to address this, but normally the teacher asks me for strategies and I am at, to the point where I am stumped now because I've tried everything that I could think of. And I'll go into that a little bit more, but his picking to the point where his fingers are bleeding, he ends up going to the nurse several times during the school day to tend to his wounds. And, you know, he has a band-aid on every finger. So the school team is very frustrated and it really has become a health concern. And Mandy, you'll be so proud of me, I took data. So this student is picking um, in one, in a 15 minute period, he's spending at least 80% of his time picking his fingers. Um, One thing we did do is he wears gloves at school to block that behavior, but you know, we know that's not realistic. And now that spring and summer is coming, obviously, that's not something we can continue to do moving forward. So I'm stumped. And I thought this would be a great topic for us to chat about. Yeah, this is a topic that is really close to my heart for so many reasons, because I do work with children on the spectrum. And this is a very common behavior. I just quickly read that there's at least 5 million people in the US that uh estimated to pick nails but I imagine in the area of developmental disabilities uh, there may not be any published data but that's a lot higher because at least the students I've worked with nearly all of them picked or bit their nails you know frequently to the point of bleeding and and for anyone that has ever picked their nails you'll know that a lot of pain goes along with that behavior as well so um, 
Yes, this is a topic that's really close to my heart because when you're working with a student that is engaging in higher rates of skin picking, mm-hmm. it is almost impossible to work with them and also interrupting it, and I can relate to this to myself, is so aversive because it's sometimes you know a ritual that you have to complete until you know the hangnail or the the loose skin is removed and so interrupting that you know can cause further problematic behavior so yeah it's really really challenging well you know one of the things that I think about with nail because I have a son who bites his nails you can't just say stop doing that (laughs) I think that's my first point that I want to make sure people understand because I know a lot of teachers specifically will get really frustrated with the student and just say, well, why can't they just stop it? And it's not that easy, is it? No, uh, you know, depending what we're kind of assuming in this episode is that these behaviours are automatically reinforced. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the moment, like a habit that the student is not even aware that they do anymore because it's at such high rate. It has become almost automatic. And so, yeah, we're not talking here about behavior that might be, say, maintained by attention or escape, as behavioralists would would call it. And I have worked with students where we did an analysis of their behavior and the major reason for doing it was attention. But we're talking in this episode about behavior that is automatically maintained or habitual in nature which means they're not doing it for someone's attention or to get out of demands but it is repetitive and embedded behavior that the individual is no longer aware of and um, this is not just true for children uh, with disabilities this is something that can happen and you know for me I'm very aware that there were you know I wouldn't even be realized that I was doing it until it would hurt a lot and they would become aware of it. So, yeah, this is habitual behaviour that we're talking about in this episode. Well, thank you for that clarification. And talking about habitual behaviour, let's talk about Matthew. So, you know, he was picking at high rates, as I said, mm. as an OT. Now, again, I'm in the school setting and it's only consult, so I don't work with him directly. I just give strategies and suggestions. And the teacher would say, do you have any sensory strategies for um, Matthew? And so some of the strategies that I gave, um, you know, were, as I mentioned, really replacement behavior. So there's this little, it's, it's really a cute sensory toy. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's looks like peas in a pod and you squeeze it and then the peas stick out. Mm. So that was something that we gave him, which he liked and it worked, you know, for a little bit. But basically the premise that we used was engaging his hands in something else during those high rates of skin picking behavior to see if we could reduce it and kind of just looking at his sensory needs and what he likes and what he doesn't to see if we could replace it. And it worked for a short time, but yeah, it did not last very long. Yeah, it is something, uh, you know, one of the processes I don't think we've actually talked about in our podcast to date, but following on from our last episode and talking about uh, reinforcement, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're engaging this sort of behavior, behavior analysts will say something is reinforcing it. And now I had to think a lot about that for myself. It's very possible, there's, you know, there's lots of different things that could be reinforcing it. But actually, you know, when there is a pain response in the body, there is also, you know, a neural impact to that. Like a when there's pain in the body, it can become, you know, addictive in that there is some... I'm not a a neuroscientist, but there is 
either adrenaline or some other opioid that is released that can actually make that addictive. So the pain is kind of addictive in itself and pressing into a bitten a bit nail. I don't know if anyone has ever had, you know, like a hangnail or where you press into it. It's, um, I've, I've got a little one at the moment, actually. <laughs> I am pressing into it a little bit there. Shanice is going to be very upset with me. But, um, but it's quite painful. You know, it can be really painful. And so it could be what could be reinforcing this is when you are engaging that behavior, it stops you thinking about something unpleasant for periods of time. That's one. So a behaviorist would call that like automatic escape maintained behavior. And that can be true of lots of behavior that people do. Um, you know, if they have a very stressful life, you know, when they habitually watch Netflix episodes, you know, while they're doing that, they're not thinking about their other stresses. And I think for me, pressing into my fingers was sort of distracting me from something else that might be unpleasant that's playing on my mind. However, I do actually have done a lot of reading on it and there is sort of like an opioid release too when there is pain associated. So it can become a really complex behavior, you know. The biology of pain and when I think about it in OT terms, you know, our nervous system is a control center. And what happens is when you have pain, the hippocampus is what actually kicks in. And it responds to pain signals by ordering the production of the body's own narcotics or endorphins. And then these proteins are what bind to these opioid receptors in the brain. And then they prevent the release of chemicals involved in the transmission of these pain signals, which then blocks the pain. But then these endorphins go further and they stimulate the limbic system and the prefrontal aspects of the brain. And then it, it sort of has this post-paint rush, almost like a high of morphine or her- heroin. So I remember what I was looking There you go. When I was looking so much, for... So much better than I described it. Well, thank you. I was looking for the research on this for the student. I was like, yeah. does he like it? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. And that's when I read it. And I was like, I really want to understand the biology of pain. And mm. that's what came up. So there was an article in actually the New York Post, BBC, that really said exactly what you said so I just wanted to support that before we move forward well there you go there is an even better reason as to why I'm doing it so yeah you could uh you know drink coffee or you know to get a high or um yeah or pick your nails there you go but um it's picking nails is much less socially acceptable as you right, know right um so yeah I did want to add one other thing too there um in terms of the extinction, that's what I was getting to, and I'll talk a little bit about habit reversal. But so, yeah, one of the processes we haven't talked about before um, on this podcast is the process of extinction. So we talked about sort of, you know, a consequence that happens after a behaviour that reinforces it, increases it over time. What we didn't talk about is what happens when you remove what is reinforcing for somebody. Uh, so let's just say, if what the individual is getting out of nail picking is exactly that response that you were talking about, uh, you described it really beautifully there, I can't remember the word that you used there, like, you know, if you remove that, you know, you can tend to get what we call an extinction burst. So let's just say you were to block someone from biting their hands when previously they were able to freely bite in it, you know, first of all, you may get an extinction burst where you've got, um, you know, an increase in behaviours and 
you know, of a different topography even of the nail biting. So you might start getting hand slapping or head hitting or something else. And so that blocking um, by wearing gloves, while it's a really good short-term strategy, you have to be really careful about doing that because if you are intermittently putting the gloves on and then taking them off, you will kind of, you know, get ongoing, potentially you're going to have extinction bursts. Um, so that's the first thing. Second of all, in Australia, that's a restrictive practice, and we're not allowed to do that mm. unless you are a, a particular, unless you're a positive behaviour support practitioner. So gloves are fraught with danger, and uh, then if you you know have bleeding nails that are going into gloves, you know, there's all sorts of hygienic issues as well. Um, but yeah, I just want to bring sort of people's attention to that. Um, sometimes blocking it seems like a really good idea, but you just have to be really careful that you're not going to get a worsening behaviour mm. and just, you know, that is something that you would really want to consult an expert on if you have really high rates of um, picking and potentially, you know, severe and challenging behaviours. You have to be really careful about how you intervene there. But what I do know is one time when I really improved my nail biting was when I moved to Indiana <laughs> in winter. It was like minus whatever degrees and I had to wear gloves a lot. Mm. And so this is why I want to talk about extinction. I was wearing them a lot of the day and it blocked me from biting them. And I actually, it was I was able to reverse the habit for about three or four months during winter as soon as I stopped wearing those gloves, it came back with a vengeance. So it was only kind of a short-term intervention. So, yeah, so blocking the behaviour is one thing. But, uh, you know, what comes from behaviour analysis is something called habit reversal training. And uh, I put a link to a couple of papers that where people can read about that. There are a set of um, behavioural procedures. But the main two there is awareness of the actual behaviour itself and then something, Aditi, that you're just going to celebrate with mm-hmm. that is going to be right up your alley. Get ready for this. <laughs> this is an unpause button. And this is replacement behaviours. So, uh, <laughs> finally. So, all of, finally, the sensory toys come into, you know, the behavioralists will reinforce you. But, you know, one of the things is really making you aware and some of the interventions that I do with my students is uh, a self-management, making them very aware of their nail picking. And this comes, this is research, this has been highly successful with things like ticks and stuttering, hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting, thumb sucking, those things. There's a lot of published research is bringing awareness to the behaviour. Mm-hmm. Frequently what we'll do when we're dealing with a student like Matthew, for instance, is we would have him click or tally or do something, put something in a jar like a you know something that shows and make him aware draw his attention to the fact that the behavior has occurred Mm -hmm. not intervening as such but raising awareness of it because habitual behavior becomes so automatic that you're not even aware that you're doing it anymore and this can be there'll be people out there my sister included who is a habitual lip biter Mm. do you know those yes yes in those too and terrible because especially in cold climates your lips get very dry and then you habitually bite them and they bleed I have one student that does that a lot and then he gets ulcers inside his mouth so yeah it's and then you can imagine how interruptive that is because then he has his hands in his mouth and then we have to wash hands so so yeah these habitual behaviors making the first the first stage of this is bringing self-awareness to the behavior oh you know what i want to add there i had a student long time ago who has cp and he was a toddler 
but he was also blind and he would bite his tongue. Oh, yeah. That was, oh, it was so hard, that poor little boy. But I was a new therapist at the time and I really didn't know anything about this. But now that I think about it, he was he had very tight muscles. So he couldn't really do anything. The only thing I wondered, and I, I have no idea if this is true, is if he that was the only thing he could control and get some sensory input from. And I wonder if that was a part of his liking the pain. I don't know. Yeah, it comes back to the same principle that you were talking about yeah. here is, you know, if you have eliminated, I mean, you have to be very careful because some of these behaviours definitely can be maintained by attention and escape. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if these, you know, if frequently, I, I do have one student, as I say, who was left in a mainstream classroom without a lot of support and he engaged in higher rates of nail picking, which resulted in him getting attention Mm -hmm. and so not me but a previous behavior analyst that worked with him you know did a what we call a functional analysis which is doing a full examination of the behavior and look what is occurring after the behavior and looking at what's maintaining it but yeah with behavior like that you know frequently if you engage in challenging behavior you'll be able to get out of you know whatever you're doing at the time people will want to reduce the demand placed upon right. you so you have to be careful there but if you've eliminated attention or escape as a, a maintaining va- uh, variable then yeah it's coming back to your theory here of um, some sort of neural response that is maintaining the behavior yeah it's a very very challenging um i just wanted to add uh, another thing about your What's it called? The ha- habit reversal? Ha- yeah, ha- that's right. H- HRT, which is also something else. I think hormone replacement therapy, not that. Okay. But H- HRT, habit reversal um, training. Okay. So it is a methodology and it can, there's various components of it, but the two most used components of it are um, so awareness training Mm -hmm. making the person aware of it and then replacement behavior and then of course after that is motive motivation so reinforcement for the absence of the behaviors etc but yeah so um, that replacement behavior you know when you're talking about nail picking and, and stuff like that you know we often have students fold their hands sit on their hands put their hands in their pockets and yeah, that is that's a, a component of yeah habit reversal training. So in OT, you know, we we use a lot of holistic education to drive our treatments, and there's a model called the um, Comprehensive Model of Behavioral Management. I think it's called COMB, and that's what I had learned about in addressing skin picking. So it has five categories. Uh, it's got sensory, cognitive affective or emotions, motor, and then place and environment. It was really powerful when, you know, when I I took that model and I used it with Matthew and I was like, okay, what can I do? Sensory wise, I found replacement behavior. Cognitive was really hard. I have to be honest. That was a really, I think that's your awareness probably. Yeah. That was really hard to do because if it's habitual, how do you make them aware? Literally with skin picking, mm-hmm. I did this myself and I did it with my one of my very good friends and he had been, as long as I'd known him, he'd been habitually biting his nails. Um, and so we just carried a clicker around and each time we became aware of 
picking or pressing into we defined the behavior to, you know topographically how it how it looked we would click our clicker and we counted how many responses a day mm. and literally just that intervention on its own so self-monitoring of the behavior just having the student click a counter or do something at the time and say you nail picked click your clicker so you actually reinforce the student making a response that makes them aware of the behavior you picked your nails, click the clicker or, you know, put a bean in a jar or whatever. Mm. Just having them aware of the behavior is the first stage in them being able to identify that they're doing it and then assisting them later to do something else. The whole process that's underway there is extinction, which is what I talked about before, is that if a behavior is not reinforced, mm-hmm. it will extinguish, you know, and so having someone do something else that is a replacement behavior can result in extinction of that original behavior. So, Got it. Um, and that awareness can be anything from, you know, if you're dealing with a verbal student, having them first of all identify in themselves. And I uh, just came to mind is that I took consultation from Dr. Kimberly Behrens, our founder at Fit Learning, and she has done remarkable work on tics. Mm. And making students, again, you know, this is a habitual behavior tics, um, and making students aware of their ticking and labeling them mm-hmm. and calling them something and being able to identify it both in the mirror and then being able to do that behavior again, bringing awareness around the behavior allows them to get some sort of control over the behavior. So, yeah, having the student, even a nonverbal student, go, sh- you know, show me nail picking, mm-hmm. right? That's that's nail picking, then labeling it for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, point to me nail picking. Okay. And like having them confirm what nail picking is very clearly and like having them identify what it isn't, engaging in a behavior and go, is this nail picking? No, is this nail picking? Yes. Show me nail picking. Show me not nail picking. Got it. So just making them very aware of their own behavior. I just want to add two strategies to that. So with Matthew, what I tried and again, because we're in the school setting, it's a little hard. I took a picture of his hands and then his little pinky finger, I put a bandaid on that. And I was like, okay, I want you to not nail pick on that finger. And the goal was eventually to increase the number of fingers and then to give him the visual. Couldn't do it because, because we were in the school and it just, it didn't work. I think it could potentially have helped if we were at home or private therapy. So that was one way I was trying to increase awareness. The second way was to video mod, like to take a video modeling of him picking his behavior, skin picking, and then showing him not skin picking. So those are the two strategies I use. And I know with a, a I had a, a girl, little girl who was doing skin picking um, a lot with her nails too. No, nail picking she was doing. So we just painted one fingernail and she would avoid that fingernail because she liked. Them. Yeah. And then we just added more. So, I mean, obviously it depends on the student uh, and the situation, but I liked your strategies of awareness and I just wanted to share those as some things that OTs yeah. use. Yeah, there's other options. I guess what I know as a nail picker is, um, I know when one nail got better, mm. you know what I mean, and that I didn't pick it a period of time, then I would often pick the others much more. Oh, Shanice gosh. will. Okay. Shanice, yeah. 
And that's, you know, if you don't extinguish the behavior, you can get Mm. this behavioral contrast where, you know, one thing might get better, but the others get a lot worse. So without having a replacement behavior, something else that you do instead, it's, um, it's possibly a strategy to bring about awareness, but, you know, possibly it could be making picking on the other nails worse. So trying to get extinction of that behavior rather than allowing it to sort of unfold. But, you know, again, shaping is a way of, you know, sometimes you have to pick your battles, right? And especially, as you say, in a school context, trying to bring about awareness and improve, you know, shape towards the ultimate behavior of not picking all of your nails. Maybe you can get there with one. I never could. I guess you did bring up a very good point there, and that's what the, how my shout-out to um, Shanice goes, is that while I was undergoing, you know, self-awareness training of clicking a clicker each time I clicked, I also saw her, and she was very motivated to learn more about behaviour analysis and, you know, reinforce this habit reversal. So she would take photos every time before and after shots, which was really reinforcing. So I would go to her before, with the, <laughs> the first time I went to her with these really picked up nails and bleeding cuticles, hor- horrifying <laughs> when I think about it now. And then she would tidy up all the areas of the skin and also give me cuticle oil to make sure that the nail bed didn't have any loose ends to that really reinforces us nail pickers if we can see loose ends Mm. and then she would tidy it all up she would paint all of them they would look a lot better and she would take a post photo so what you're talking about there is bringing awareness to you know how much better they look this is not always helpful for children on the spectrum of course but what you can do over time as you start to get improved performance and I do have one beautiful little girl I work with have worked with for a long time also a fellow terrible fellow nail picker from time to time but what we have improvement about now is that we take a photo of her hands every day in the morning and then a photo when she leaves school and then her mum takes a photo before she goes to bed and so if we have both her mother and her coach confirm that her nail picking from when she left school to when she woke up the next day is improved then she gets robux she loves robux Mm. um so we have been able to teach her strategies we've taught at quiet hands where she because most of her nail picking was occurring at night she wouldn't do it at school because she was with her learning coach and we're very on to that and so we had a, a reinforcement strategy at school but then she'd get home at night and she'd pick a lot and she used to pick into the side of her thumb as well and wear down the skin a lot like layers and layers of skin it would bleed then she'd be really upset about it the next day so we taught her quiet hands which she would press into the bed with force at night as she was falling asleep and then she we'd wake up next day um take a photo of them the next day and then at school they would do a comparison of her photos from bedtime to the next time and she would get a massive reinforcer so while we're bringing awareness of her nail picking um, a strategy of quiet hands to stop her nail picking then we put in place a motivational variable as well and her nail picking is 99% better now mm. she now is on a week a week plan um at the end of friday she for four five improved days of nail picking she gets a massive um reward at the end of the week and so yes there's a number of strategies there that can work depending on the student starting with building awareness of the actual behavior and self-identification of it have you tried any sort of place environment adaptations to help with this um and the reason i ask is because i didn't do this with matthew but a previous student I had uh, in a private clinic setting, this student would do it in the bathroom. That was 
always where he did it. So some of the things we did is putting a sign in the bathroom to remind him or not using a bright light in the bathroom so that you couldn't really see his skin to pick up, pick it, like using very dim lighting, things like that, or throwing away tweezers because he loved tweezers and would pick with tweezers. Oh, oh yes, I know it sounds horrible, oh, but this is what would happen. Um, and one yeah. of the things <laughs> I remember telling mum, I'm like, you know, can you just try get rid of all the tweezers in the house? And she's like, well... I've got to have some because I need them for, you know, X, Y, Z. And so it was really, he would find them. He would find them anywhere and everywhere. So I was just wondering if you've done any sort of environmental strategies. I can relate to that completely in a different way because, yeah, I would not pick my nails when I was in any parent meetings or mm. when I was around people that I didn't want, you know, to them to see. I could maintain it for that period of time, but then the rates of it, would get a lot higher, you know, when I was left on my own. So that is a fantastic example of behavioral contrast. Um, It's it's like the best example I've ever heard. I will use that (laughs) again. So like creating an environment, highly motivating when students are left on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing I would say is, uh, just reminding me of something else when you said that is, If he is getting some sort of deep pressure or something out of that, for instance, hand massage is something that, you know, can function as a similar behavior or the application of hand cream, which is another intervention which I've used before, which is, that has been very successful. So timed intervals for the absence of picking to give a hand massage I sound like an IT. I know. Um, <laughs> I've converted you. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. But like, so, um, which is pressing into the fingers or whatever it is gently and applying cream to the cuticle so there's no loose edge. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, if, he's, if he is doing it in these other environments, you have to intervene in those environments as well. So you'd want the... Uh, let's just say you had identified, I think you said, what did you say the rate of behaviour for Matthew was? It was in a 15-minute timing, he was nail-picking about 80% of the time. Oh, 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. So um, let's just say that's, you know, 13 out of 15. That's very Very high rate behaviour by any standard. Um, So, you know, that means you're going to have to sort of provide an alternative, get him to engage an alternative response nearly every minute for a period of time Mm -hmm. to try and reduce that behaviour. So, and I just want to add that it was like, we sort of, we videoed him doing it, but also when I consulted with the teacher, I'm like, so what's going on? Because not every day, he wasn't doing it as high rates every day. And what we found out is anytime the teacher touched his backpack or his planner or books, he did it more. Wow. So it was anxiety really, I don't know, perhaps anxiety related and so that's kind of where we are right now. We're like, okay, we've kind of identified the triggers. Do you do that too? Look for the triggers? Yeah, I would I would be interested to know what it is about um, having his items touched that is, yeah, is aversive to him if that's what it is. So, um, you know, sometimes with kids on the spectrum, they have rituals and routines 
and about how their things are touched or how things are done. And so who knows what the consequence is. Let's just say that something is occurring with his items that he doesn't like being touched. He doesn't like someone touching his water bottle or something that's occurring around his bag. Mm -hmm. You know, in the event that he engages in this nail picking, it sort of lessens the aversiveness of that. It's like a distractor almost. Mm. Or alternatively, people see him engaging in that behaviour and they stop doing it. So that could be reinforcing it as well. So there could be to his nail picking, this would suggest to me, because generally habitual nail biters, the only thing that would change Mm -hmm. the rate of nail picking is something that's distracting them with their hands. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, that let's just say they have had quite a lot of nail biting and it's painful. They might press into it more as opposed to nails that have grown a little bit that are less painful. So in that case, you want to, I guess, look really closely. If this is behavior that's varying a lot by rate, this is something you might want to do, really do a close um, examination of is, you know, interval data across a day and see when it's occurring and what's, what's occurring in the environment at that time because it may actually be a demand-based thing or attention-based behavior and not just habit or automatically maintained. So that's, yeah, it's a really good observation if that's what you've seen. And that's exactly what it was with the student that I talked about that was in a school scenario. His rate of picking when he was left on his own was so high. And what resulted is that he got attention in the classroom when he was doing it because they would see him, you know, because he would be biting it, it would be bleeding and the teacher would come to his attention and give him something to do. So it's really maintained, this is very non-behavioural, but by absence, you know, boredom is what some people would call it, but like absence of attention and waiting because he had no ability to wait. And then the teacher would see him picking. And so, yeah, his his behaviour was very much attention maintained. So, yeah, that's another thing to look at is, you know, is the behaviour maintained by something else occurring in the environment, not just habit? Right, right. So I have actually seen that happen even with some of my sensory kids who are, may not necessarily have ASD, but they just like, they're um, rocking or they're shaking their leg. Or I have one student right now who habitually takes his shoes off constantly. And he's not even aware he's doing it. He's just like, just something I do all the time. And it's uh, a safety issue in the classroom. And so we're trying to address it. So I wonder about those habitual behaviors. They're tricky, right? Trying to figure out, is it really automatic or are you getting something out of it other than that sensation? Yeah, you know, that just kind of requires periods of time where you stand back and analyze, you know, what happened before, what happens after. You know, there is a whole methodology within behavior analysis called functional analysis, which, you know, where you do intervals of time whereby you allow the student to engage in the behavior and you provide different consequences. So you run sessions of it being, you know, reinforced with escape from a demand or reinforced with attention or the student is just left on their own and you look at the rates of that behavior in that session time and you see where the rates are at their highest. So if the student takes, you know, if there's a demand condition and the student takes off their um, shoe, you remove the demand uh, if it's, you know, they take their sh- in another condition, you would provide attention. Um, in another condition, the student would just be left on their own um, doing something and you look at the rates and then you can determine actually what the function is because it's so important, right, that you get the function right because right. 
you know, if you think it's her um, habitual behavior and trying to reverse this habit, but actually you're providing attention in the moment, you're likely to reinforce it. Right. So, yeah, you know, someone that doesn't have the skills to do a functional analysis could just observe for periods of time and look what happens after the behavior. But with shoes, it's it's very likely that someone is going to help him put them back on, right? Well, like he typically the, puts the them likelihood back on in this. Situation. Oh, he takes them off and then he puts them mm-hmm. back on because right. we extinguish that. We're like, nope, nobody's allowed to do it. He he's got to do it himself. He's got to put them back yeah. on himself. Yeah, but even even then, right? That requires someone to intervene on that. Surely, like in a classroom environment, you know, surely he's being not just left on his own to to take his shoes on and off. That there'll be some attention around that occurring. Like, put your shoes back on. So, yeah, it's important to look at what the consequences, I guess. That's what I would yeah. say first. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I agree. But also what's occurring at the time that he's doing that because if he is not engaged in classroom instruction, he's not, you know, kept on board. I mean, all of us where we are not, you know, at some level of arousal will engage in a behaviour. We'll fill in the gap, mm-hmm. right? And access to shoes, putting them on and off, is something he can do. So, yeah, it's about what's occurring in the environment as well. Wow. Well, we covered a lot more than skin picking this. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, but as you can see, there's so many facets to skin picking behavior or any of these sort of habitual behaviors we've discussed today. Um, so we do actually have a deeper dive on this topic, Mandy. Isn't that exciting? This is, there's so much to say here. We're going to address the sensory, cognitive, motor, environmental aspects all in, uh, coming up deeper dive hopefully soon we will keep you posted um mandy you've done so much work on this already so i'm really excited to share your perspective further um yeah even share for those that come along i'll even share my before and after shots (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah i'm sure shanice might be able to provide us with other examples as well where she's helped people um you know develop that before and after yeah comparison and, and helping people unwind this really Yeah, really interruptive behavior. Brilliant. So uh, the deep dive is called How to Stop Nail Biting in Just Four Weeks, courtesy of Mandy and her pictures and her personal story. So thank you for your dedication, Mandy. Um, And then let's talk about our next episode, which is another exciting topic. We, We actually have a guest. She is an SLP and an ABA therapist from England, Wales, actually. And we're going to be talking about promoting oral motor movements for ADLs, uh, you know, we all need oral, oral motor movements for eating, sucking, spitting, all these sort of life skills that we have to do. So this is a lovely, actually, SLP, OT and ABA collaboration. Can you believe it? Our collaborative team is growing. So I'm very excited about that. Any uh, last tips, Mandy, before we go? Yeah, I just wanted to mention those two key components. I will be putting some resources and papers for reading to look at all of the different elements in habit reversal training. But the two key elements being awareness training and then developing a competing response to that. That's a big part of habit reversal. And you can do it with anyone, you know, anyone that has sort of a, a, you know, on the spectrum or high functioning adults that have habits. So yeah, look up habit reversal training. That's an amazing research from our field. Perfect. And uh, just to let you know, we will have some resources listed on our Facebook page, specifically for replacement behaviors. Yay, finally, I get to put some sensory stuff out there. Uh, (laughs) They actually have one that's, it sounds gross, but it's like you squeeze it, it's like you're squeezing a pimple and some stuff oozes out. Sounds nasty, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> kids love Finale. it. And so anyway, I've got a few that I will be posting on Facebook for your information. All right then, remember the most valuable resource we have is each other. So without collaboration, our growth is limited to our own perspectives. So once again, hashtag collaboration over competition. Until next time, bye-bye from the Windy City. And hooroo from Down Under.